1: Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 67 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, Daryl Edge, your humble host and guide, take you, the listener, on the journey to true Cage novana. What is that, you may ask? Well, that is the highest, purest, most spiritual, realist, emotional, physical, everything form of being that there is, achieved only by watching all of the works of the man we call the Golden Hog, the greatest actor of this, any, every generation, Nicola's Cage. Welcome to the show, welcome to the podcast. Uh, glad to have you here if you are returning. If you're new, welcome, welcome, welcome. There's always room aboard the journey. Always room on the train The true Cage Nirvana. Whatever method of transport you feel is most apt for this journey. Hope you've had a good week. Um, not been a bad week for me. I'm now on a week and a half of holiday um, from work as I slowly but surely turned 30 the um, the big the big three o, it's coming um, it's one of those ages that I've always been a bit worried about you know it's big age significant age is 30 uh, there's someone that I work with who is turned 30 before I and he you know said oh there's no need to worry about turning 30 you know because your 20s your 20s is for learning your 20s is all about learning and honestly, all I've learned about myself in my 20s is that I'm mentally ill. Um, How do I know this? I have a Nick of this Cage podcast. Um, But also, that aside, um, I've seen the new Candyman this week and the new Marvel film uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. really enjoy Candyman. Um, as for Shang-Chi, I'm going to call it, and not that I have a definitive ranking, but I think it might be up there in my top Marvel films. It was... It was so good. So good. Um so definitely check it out if you've got a chance to. Um now for this week, moving on to episode admin business, uh, I am joined by Ian Harris and Graham Jones of the podcast that nobody asked for. Um they're joining me this week as we kick off 2014 in the uh, in the the filmography, the pantheon, the history of Nicolas Cage. As we're going to talk about um, the action crime drama Rage, or talk it, depending on where you are in the world. And this was tremendous fun to record, I had a lot, a lot of fun doing this one. Um, so we're talking about in this film, we're touching on how unragy this film is, how logically flawed this flick is. Uh, Danny Glover's unique system of measurement, uh, Peter Stormar's disgraceful Irish accent, and the film's utterly bollocks ending amongst uh, a lot of other things. Um, so I do hope you enjoy this one. And to get the admin out of the way as well, you can listen to the podcast on any of the following Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, Deezer, Tuned In, and the host provider, Acast. Uh, please do leave a rating if you can, if um, you're serving streaming provider permits such a thing it's very helpful to me it helps the podcast grow uh, you can find me on twitter as well at cage underscore podcast on instagram at cage pod all the links to those in the description uh below as well in the show information along with the relevant links and socials uh for the podcast nobody asked for as well so please go and check their podcast out um they have a great show over there i'll be joining them not too long from now to discuss of course some Nicholas Cage business, so very much looking forward to that. But with that said, let's get this show on the ruddy road. It's episode sixty-seven. It's Rage of with Ian Harris, with Graham Jones, the podcast nobody asked for, and me, Davil. Da. With an overall underrated twenty thirteen now behind us, we set our sights on twenty fourteen, which can definitely be described as a bit of a year for the Golden Hog. Kicking things off is the action crime thriller Rage, or Tokarev if you're in Europe, and in this one Cage stars as Paul Maguire, a reformed criminal who must round up his old crew when his 16-year-old daughter is abducted. Now joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if this movie is all the rage or if it just needs to calm down are the hosts of the podcast. Nobody asked for Ian Harris and Graham Jones. Ian and Graham, thank you so much for joining. How are you today?
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having us, man. We're uh, we're looking forward to it. It's uh, yeah, it's always a good day when cage is involved.
1: <laughs> That's what I've been saying for. At least two years now, since this, uh, whatever this podcast is that's been going, uh, I think as well as sort of a podcast first, this is the first time a podcast duo has joined as well. So, we're making history, we're making ground. Um, so do do with that tidbit, that nugget as you will. Um, I'm always interested to know when we kick these things off as well. Um, for both of yourselves, your sort of personal cage histories. Uh, where do you stand on him? Do you rate him? Do you hate him? Do you tolerate him? Um, where do you stand on the man we call Nicholas Cage?
2: I, I'm going to let Ian kick this one off. Um, uh, I think he's he has a more of a uh, uh, illustrious history with the uh, with the man himself. I, I will come in afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think my history with Cage is summed up from the fact
0: once at an old job somebody took me aside to ask if my love of Nicolas Cage was ironic or not. <laughs> um, and and the answer is a swift no. I legitimately think Nicolas Cage is one of the most under- <laughs> underrated actors uh, currently working. And generally, people who disagree have only seen, uh, unfortunately, films like we're going to talk about today.
1: Um, I think it's interesting what, what you say there as well. I mean, about him not just being underappreciated but someone asking you if you enjoy him ironically because I have had that exact same conversation (laughs) (laughs) with 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 far too many people um Graham yourself is this is this love matched or are you just cage adjacent
2: it's I don't think it's necessarily quite matched um I've certainly not been on the cage train as long as Ian has um but we, I I saw a lot of his earlier stuff. I never really thought too much of it. Uh, very vivid memories of his weird hand shaking scene in Gone with sixty Seconds uh, always sticks in my mind. Um, <laughs> but very recently, <clears throat> when we so we started doing. Um, obviously we've been watching a lot more movies with the podcast. Uh, recently we've done some good bad movie episodes. Um, and. Vampire's Kiss was an absolute revelation um, <laughs> I there's no looking back after seeing Vampire's Kiss um, I am fully on board the cage train
1: <laughs> what a movie to bring you on board as well <laughs>
2: wasn't
0: it you went quite quickly from Vampire's Kiss to Adaptation
2: yep they, those and were just, the two just... and that's <laughs> either end of the that's either end of the cage spectrum isn't it
1: And what, you know, know, I mean, what a beautiful spectrum it is as well. Um, All the colours, every colour you can think of on that spectrum. (laughs) I think it's a very interesting contrast, though, when you sort of look at, um, you get the the film-like adaptation, which is, you know, uh, all the nominations, and then you've got a vampire's kiss, which is arguably cage-iest. But there's still something, you know, quintessentially cage about both of them. And you kind of come away from both films thinking, you know what? I like the cut of this man's jib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I like what he's doing. I don't understand what he's doing, but I like what he's doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, I'm not an actor. I'm not here to tell people how to do their jobs, but I want more of that. Mm. And I think if we had more you know, and it is a lunatic performance. Let's let's make no no bones about it. <laughs> I I found um uh, like, like transcripts of an audio commentary because I, I think you can get it probably super cheap on DVD somewhere. Yeah, But it's Cage doesn't often do audio commentary so that in itself is kind of quite an interesting insight. Um, what, one of the most joyous things was the idea that the director um, just uh, would openly admit numerous times that he had no fucking idea what he was doing. Um, <laughs> there was a scene outside some apartment buildings where they had a mime. The director was like, yeah we just put a mime and don't know why there's a mime um, <laughs> my
2: uh, my favorite part of all of that was we were watching it and i was so there's the bit where he's going through new york absolutely off his tits on whatever Nicolas cage is off his tits on um <laughs> just with, being Nicolas cage yeah high, just high off on, his cage.
0: Tits <laughs> on being cage
2: and he's carrying the the big wooden stake thing and i turned to ian and i was like New York is the only place where like this could happen, and no one would bat an eyelid. Um, and then, in researching the movie afterwards, it turns out that they ha- no one was extras. That was just like people walking around New York. Yeah, that's that's that that happens here. <laughs> that,
0: that, that's that's the thing I like with Nicolas Cage is, a lot of the time you watch his film, you get just as much enjoyment from reading into it afterwards because you just get all of these really weird things coming about, like him buying an octopus to study it on how to be a better actor. Like, all that kind of, (laughs) is this true? But if it was about anyone else, I'd immediately assume it's just the internet being the internet. But because it's Nicolas Cage, it's like, well, of course, of course he bought an octopus.
1: (laughs) I think you could take, you could probably isolate all these... um... These cagey things that he's done, like, you know, come to Glastonbury to search for the Holy Grail and bought his own, like, tombstone in New York. He's open grave. Pyramid. He
0: that- bought a Pyramid in uh, New Orleans as well.
1: Oh, it's it's wonderful <laughs> stuff. And I think you could just, you know, take Nicolas Cage out of the headlight and you can just play this spinning wheel game of, is it cage or is it just a tumour? And then there's- <laughs> <laughs> no one's getting all of those questions correct, I guarantee you right now. Um, like my favourite, so like he turned on the the Christmas lights in Bath in like 2011 <laughs> or ten, I think it was, because he just loves it over here. Because
0: cause, cause of course he's going. To. It's when, <laughs> I, when I think of famous Bath-based celebrities, I immediately think of Nicolas Cage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, think of that a lovely city. You know, like beautiful landscapes. But well, then if you listen at certain points, you know, about three minutes after midnight on a Thursday, second week of April oh <laughs> <laughs> the cage doth cry evermore um so i suppose outside of though you know two of i think you know we can we can argue um you know what are top 10 films what are top five cage films i think adaptations always going to be in there i think vampire's kiss you can make a strong case for a podium finish on that um outside of that um have you experienced more of cage or I suppose, especially with Graham as well, are you limited to just two very opposite but almost very similar uh, films in some respects?
2: Yeah, i've I've seen quite a few throughout. Um, Face Off was one of my earliest uh, exposures to Cage, uh, which is which is great, and Con Air as well, um, and also recently. I think it was was it your last birthday, Ian? Um, so just to just to really cement Ian's love for Nicolas Cage on his birthday, we did a double bill of. Um, Fa uh no, Connor, it was, it was Connor and, and the Rock. Rock and the Rock uh, on a cinema screen in his back garden. Oh. Um so uh yeah I've I've seen I've seen a fair bit and I am and I'm I'm sure um this may come up again later, but I'm extremely, extremely excited to see Pig. Absolutely <laughs>
0: Everything he's got... Well, I mean, a lot of what he's got coming out I'm really excited about. Because so you've got Pig, the whole Joe Exotic thing he's doing, the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I've already decided is one of my favourite films. And I think he's, <laughs> he's doing, like, some weird fantasy thing for Amazon as well.
1: He's voicing a dragon for Amazon as well. Although, yeah. I, uh, to be the absolute reaper here, the Joe Exotic Cage project has since been cancelled, unfortunately. Ah, <gasps> oh, Which oh, will go... Will go down as Hollywood's greatest "what if." Um, I think yeah, coronavirus. This and there was another project of the it, same thing that was further along in production, so it got pulled. So
0: yeah, that, that's that's fair, I guess. But also, yeah, no, I I love. Yeah, I I try to watch as much as I can because I legitimately think he's great, and it's all it's always entertaining
2: in some <laughs> way, shape, form, or uh, or another. <laughs> I also I I forgot to mention the Wicker Man. I don't know how I forgot to mention the Wicker Man, but absolute classic.
1: <laughs> you come onto this podcast <laughs> 10 minutes into recording and you don't mention <laughs> the Wicker Man. Um I you know I I just bought the digital version on on Amazon so I just owned that for now and I'm I'm so proud and I'm not not upset about it. Um I love talking about The Wicker Man though when you sort of realise that in some respects Cage is actually the villain of the piece because he's gone to a community based island, shouted at everyone and so right they stuck him in the uh, <laughs> The Wicker Man at the end but, can't, yeah. he, can't just I mean, go around what, punching villagers women and expect to get away with it um, This isn't the 16th what, 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 century
0: What wild dressed as a bear
1: <laughs> It's it was a great a movie time. though right? Oh, absolutely! Um, I think I think more films really should employ sudden shots of two <laughs> D horribly CG trucks ploughing small children uh, for comedic <laughs> effect. Um, if you ask me, that's just that's a, just my ten cents, though. Um, so we sort of come on to to this week's uh, entry into the cage pantheon of cinematic greatness, um, and as I sort of touched in the intro there, I think. 2013 is a year for Cage that um, a lot of people don't really talk about because it gets lost in the 2010s, really, I suppose, an era called the the straight-to-DVD era of Cage. Um, a lot of things will slip you by. A lot of things go under the radar. There is a lot of stuff, unfortunately, that isn't good. Um, but 2013 was a very underappreciated year for Cage. Had the Crudes, the Frozen Ground... Uh, Joe, which is one I've said before, I'll say again, is one of, if not the most underappreciated, underrated Cage film. Um, And then immediately after that, we get uh, Rage, or again, Tokarev, if you're in Europe. So for this one, was this one that either you had seen before or heard of before prior to today? Me, no, I hadn't.
0: Yeah, so I, I had watched it ages ago. Um, I was out in Australia visiting some family friends, and we just needed a film to watch. And we're kind of scrolling through the TV. Nicolas Cage's face appeared. It's just like, oh, I like Nicolas Cage. We'll just watch this. <laughs> so uh, I had, but uh, long, long ago, long, long ago enough that I couldn't really remember a lot of it outside of like the grand reveal, which <laughs> is always an interesting way to go back into a film. Because like, I know, I know the twist, but this still feels like it's all new information to me.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting reveal, um, which we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll surely get into. Um, but this one was the first time I'd I'd seen it as well. I'd seen uh, the poster of him sort of looking over his shoulder, little sort of knife behind, holding behind. I was like, oh, looks like we're gonna get something a bit darker. We're gonna get some cage oh. knife play. Um, I think it's very much in the vein of uh, these. Film was trying to chase that, uh, that taken gold, get a bit, a bit of that. Yeah, yeah it, it,
0: it very much felt like, uh, how about we just, I mean, we'll just do taken again. We'll just do, but it will be slightly different.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it, it seemed to be a way, um, So I think taken again, it's one that no one expected it to be as big as it was um i remember seeing the sequel taken to the cinema that came out in 2012 13 whenever that came out and it was one of the first times that i'd seen um a cinema packed like the screening was sold out for taken Two. um and we my friends got in quite a late recording like front row of the cinema like absolute paupers crane and an x up 90 degrees like animals howling at the moon <laughs> um So you got a lot of films trying to chase this vein. I mean, Cage had a similar one trying to chase this um, with, um, what was it now, Stolen in 2012, which was a sort of similar plot with um, Daughter goes Missing. It's, uh, you know, all part of the past coming back to haunt you, back to bite you. So it's almost as if you thought, well, right, that one didn't do too well. Let's have another crack at the, old, uh, the whole taken formula. Um, I mean,
2: st- stolen is even that's even closer. Like that's just uh, that's just a synonym. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. I, I think
0: it was after. Um, so you know, I, I don't. I'm sure you have mentioned this on the podcast before, but there isn't. There is a reason all of this happened just after his whole having to owe a load of back taxes. <laughs> the american government and he just kind of went through a phase of making kind of quite similar films all with one word titles yeah So like you had like your you know the frozen ground and things like that thrown in but then you also had what's it like uh justice trespass stolen tokarev outcast and i think there are a couple of others it's just like <laughs> just exactly the same thing it's like yeah, we'll go for it, it it'll be fine <laughs>
1: It's like when you just recite like all the single word films. It's like the police interviewing somebody has just come out of a coma. What do you remember about the accident? Oh, justice, talk about rage. <laughs> well, that's
0: that's that's a plot of a film Nicholas Cage would have been in at this period.
1: <laughs> some some would argue that you know we all might have been collectively in a coma for some of these uh, some of the output here. But I think. You know, I think Liam Neeson almost, though, you know, going back to taking in in a way, you sort of watch it, and he, he looks the part, he's quite grittily shot, it's a, a very weirdly absorbing film that you're completely into, but the first time you see Cage in this, um, I mean, my two notes was like, one, I mean, first he's got the dyed black hair, that was sort of one of the telltale sign of like a mid-2010s Cage, where he's just trying to cling on to something.
0: It's too black, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's, it's yeah, basically
0: it's, a
2: Just For Men advert. Yeah, but
0: it's not black hair. It's just, like, void of any colour. It, it's it's just... It's basically a black hole.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's just like, the concept of darkness. It's not... There's no <laughs> material there, because I'm sure, like... And I say this as, like, a fine-haired man myself, but I'm sure, like, if in 2014 you sort of just put your fingers into it, it just there'd be nothing there, just, like, whoosh. Like cloud, like <laughs> smoke. Um, but it, it is, and and I bring up Cage's hair a lot because it's it's such a noticeable. Um, I don't know. You can sort of pinpoint where he was in his career just based on hair alone, and and I've sort of joked on the podcast semi-seriously that maybe my um final ever episode of this will be like the Nicolas Cage Hair Awards, ranking every hair <laughs> that he's had. So I don't know where this one would would would, uh, would rank yet, but I think just. You know, it it is as black as the the eyes of the devil. Um, it's dark, it's grim. It makes you feel things in your soul. This darkness. Um, but he carries this for a few films in twenty twenty fourteen. I think following on from that, I mean, I sort of made two notes here because he looks a bit sad. I'll be honest. My note was he looked like an Elvis impersonator who just had to leave his job after a lawsuit, and I was just tired all the time. <laughs> Um, and then I think about ten minutes later, I was. My notes were: I take that back. He looks like a living, like waxwork figurine. Um, just looks dreary. He looked a bit sad. I don't think this was a film where he was yet phoning it in. Um, I think. What would you sort of say about his performance in this? Because I think there's, there's things, there's cagey things in there. I didn't think he was I, complete write off.
2: I I was really like the first forty forty five minutes or so. It it just felt so understated. Like there were so many opportunities for him to kick off cage style, like in the morgue, for example. And he was just especially in a film which is you know called for, Rage. For, yeah, for, <laughs> for some regions <laughs> called Rage. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, this is it. There was a uh, but then there was there, there's the moment on the rooftop. Where he finally goes, he goes full cage, uh, which has one of my, probably my favourite scene in the film, where he's telling a guy to stop dying whilst repeatedly smashing his head into the floor. Um, yeah, you can't be that.
0: Yeah, my, so one of my first notes um, after the quote, "It makes us milk brothers?" question mark is just uh, given. He just found out his daughter was kidnapped. He's crazy reserved about it.
1: Yes. It, yeah, he's so chill.
0: There's like I think there's like two like proper kind of cagey outbursts in the film, but for the rest of it, he's really like I wouldn't say composed is the wrong word. <laughs> he's 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 very not cagey. I hmm. think it's the best way to put it. Yeah, um, but I think what he kind of lacks in um, to kind of bring it back to Taken, which is the obvious comparison for a film like this, is Liam Neeson. The reason taken makes sense is Liam Neeson looks like he could beat the shit out of someone like he's you know he he is a big kind of imposing guy given this or given rage is a film about basically gangsters, nobody is threatening <laughs> <laughs> like that that kind of came across at the beginning was like, you're talking about like nicholas cage just like or um, poorly the character he's playing is like dark history and you're just kind of watching it's like really like (laughs) all this stuff and he's he keeps like going off about like yeah i want to like broke this guy's legs um you know the scene where he was trying to set that guy up with his daughter
2: but but the best (laughs) bit about that is he he goes on this long spiel about you know how you know you should you know treat a woman with respect you should defend her honor and his way of defending his deceased girlfriend's honour was that someone made a comment about her being a slut so he broke her his legs with a tire iron, which I think is a little bit of an overreaction.
1: <laughs> Chivalry's not dead though, is it? You know just, <laughs> If if you haven't broken a man's legs, then have you really defended your partner? That's yeah, the question just, I'm I'm putting yeah. out into the world.
0: You've clearly never been in love before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no
2: comment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, no, yeah, it, it's uh, he he didn't. I, I think Cage did quite well with what he was given. I, I think the a, a lot of kind of the dialogue. I don't think anyone particularly
2: would have done great with it. Um, I, I've picked out a few of my favourite bits of terrible dialogue.
1: Oh, please, please. Um,
2: so there's a bit where um, I can't remember if it was Nicolas Cage or, or someone else. And they say that shit is about to get radical, um, which just is not what a retired gangster would say. Um, there's also uh, Danny Glover saying yep. that Nicolas Cage has a rap sheet as long as my dick. Which... Uh, it, it wasn't
0: It wasn't Nicolas Cage's rap sheet. It was one of like the Russian guys in the poker oh, okay. room well okay that's that's more understandable yeah, yeah, though that,
2: that makes sense. <laughs> and uh yeah, and the final one was and a, you know a bit of advice that we should all live by. you don't bang strippers in your home, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you keep work and business separate, <laughs> everyone knows that i think these these are the rules that you know like twenty minutes in and these are the rules that we're finding out really is one uh just break a man's legs for a bit of a laugh and just don't bring a stripper home you just you just don't you just don't do it um i kind of love that about danny glover's character though um i think sergeant uh was it peter something i forget the character's name but he um peter st john Sergeant detective peter st john i'm getting his rank completely wrong my apologies <laughs> to danny glover what disrespect um i love how anytime danny glover appeared it was just he just appeared out of nowhere just to explain that something had happened <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah. Or to let Nicolas Cage off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he lets Nick Cage off about seventeen times despite the force, being like, we can literally arrest him for so many things. <laughs> it's like, but is his rap sheet as long as my dick, though? Is it? <laughs> and I imagine just like he you, you know, the people in the car when like, oh he's doing the fucking rap sheet this this thing again, he's done it again.
2: We get it, Danny, you've got a massive cog. <laughs>
0: It's the 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 other policeman I, I think was kind of funny because you're one of the best examples of this is he's standing next to Nicolas Cage's like destroyed car that has a load of bullet holes in it <laughs> and he's literally just yeah we'll let you go and the other policeman is literally in the background just going you're r- really <laughs> like he's a reformed gangster and there's there's guns everywhere but and the Danny Glover also does the the acting technique usually reserved for Nicholas Cage where he whispers a lot of the dialogue like yeah. his voice never goes above just kind of talking really aggressively like that
1: <laughs> it's just like quite d- deep raspy like uh, you're um like yeah, I, mean, I think we should stress as well this this kind of come the start of the film I think um what sets cage off down this path is that He's gone out for a business lunch with his wife and two unimportant people. Uh, his daughter's having a small gathering with two friends at the house. Um, and then they're having a business lunch at like five past midnight. Where the fuck are you that you're still getting food at five past midnight? Maybe I'm just not in the construction game and I just don't know how it works. <laughs> um, but he's, I think maybe the wisest thing he said is like, it's it's literally fight 12.05, I want to go home. It's like no, you will tell them your backstory, Paul. Go on, get it, get into it. And then Danny Glover rocks up. Uh, your daughter's dead. It's like well, the soup's gone cold. Fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just out of nowhere. Um, and I will say, as well, I suppose, you know, touched on the whole that whole um, you know, the, the driving force of the characters here. That comes out of fucking nowhere. I think you probably see maybe something's gonna happen because it's you know, we're gonna say it again, it's a taken wannabe esque film, so something's gonna to happen to the daughter, but that came around like the fuck? Can, what what so I don't know if that you know if that made sense for you guys or if you were like, well yeah. I'm gonna minute, come on Danny Glover.
0: Yeah, cause, um because first of all she's she's been kidnapped and then they find out that she's died. So because hmm. it was so obviously a take and ripoff. it is a massive shock that she ends up being dead yeah because all of yeah. these films kind of like you know as an audience we pretend we don't acknowledge the kids are going to be okay it's like you know or maybe you know maybe something will happen but deep down we know yeah he's going to get his daughter back isn't he it's going to be great there's going to be a big uh reveal everything oh oh no no they just found her in a storm drain
2: yeah it, it's uh yeah the other bit in that sequence leading up to Danny Glover coming in to say that she'd been kidnapped is that those two scenes were happening side by side. So you had like the, what you thought was the real time of the kids at yeah. the home. Um, and obviously it turns out that that was earlier in the evening. And then you get the replay of, well, sort of what happened. Um, so yeah, I think it did kind of come pretty much out of nowhere. Um, but it was, uh, It's also like the coincidence that obviously it was Danny Glover that was going to go and tell him. Like of all of the, like surely just a regular policeman would have rocked up.
1: Yeah, I I suppose the film tries to establish numerous times that um, Danny Glover's character, Nicolas Cage, have this history. Although the history to me just seems to be 19 years of of Danny Glover going, yeah, but you're still kind (laughs) of a criminal though, aren't you? A little bit, a little bit. And you Katie's can tell like, me, no. you can tell me, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, I'll let you off, I'll do the rap sheet thing, and then you'll be fine. <laughs>
0: did, did I mention my dick? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if if someone cuffs you and it's not me, just say that you've seen Danny Glover's hog, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, smooth, <laughs> we'll smooth this whole thing out. It's, it, I don't know, it seems like such a weird... Relationship though, because again, it, it seems like such a one-a waste of Danny Glover that you've got him just for him to offer exposition and he doesn't really do anything. Um, if, we, if we're talking
0: about wasting good actors, we haven't even got to Peter Stormor yet.
1: Oh, <laughs> old old, <laughs> old Pete's, I mean, you know, just waste on all site you know. Well, we'll absolutely get onto Peter, or to old Peter, Peter McGee. Um, but I think you know, unless we go back to this, my issue really with Danny Glover and the police as a whole, um, and it's not just, you know, Danny Glover's character or saying this, it's also various mobsters, including Peter Stormare's character, um, telling Cage, look, uh, you're out, you're clean, you're not a criminal anymore, you're living an honest life, let the police do their jobs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because sometimes I do miss stuff whilst I'm taking notes but I am almost certain that other than the one point where Cage gets arrested and immediately released after the car chase, the police don't do a fucking thing, this film. They don't do anything.
0: They yeah, so they the the whole the whole idea of the film is that the police find out it was like this gangster tied Tokarev gun which killed his daughter. Um but the police realized that gun was like it had been tied to something in the 80s, but nothing since then. But all I think Nicolas Cage's character knows is because, regardless of what film he is, he's in. I'm just going to keep calling him Nicolas Cage, I'm not calling him Paul. <laughs> um, it's interchangeable. He, yeah, all he hears is it's a Tokarev, and apparently the Russian mafia only use russian guns <laughs> and that's that's it like so i did a bit of research into it there have been 1.7 million Tokarevs produced <laughs> like it's it's not just like you know there's not like there's six of them and they're all in the hands of the russian mob they're everywhere <laughs> but, like the, i think the police just kind of got to the point where it's like well that's that's kind of it and Nicholas Cage decided, you know what, I'm going to do some real police work and just randomly attack these guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, we had, I think they said it was one case in 83, two in 88. Yeah, yeah. And then we took 30 years off and like, ooh, the Tokarev killer's back again. It's like, <laughs> which of the 1.2 million are we talking about here? The one that specifically <laughs> yeah. links, that we all kind of know links to Cage, but no one's had the balls to say it. Um Say so, you know, that's very particular policing. So, I mean, yeah. on that basis, if they knew that statistic of the Tokarevs, then I take that back. That's incredible police work. And that's <laughs> that's pinpoint accurate police work. Um, so I, I I will immediately retract all of my comments about the police force in this film. Um, I don't know what department, though. Did they say where this is based in this film? Was it just a place in America?
2: It was, I, it was filmed in Alabama. Um, whether or not it was set in Alabama is a different story, but it was filmed in Alabama.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think just, Let's it, just assume. Yeah, picking a place for it would have been too much effort, I think. So they just <laughs> set it in America.
1: Um,
0: some, somewhere where the Russian mob and what... <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, it took me researching the film to realise like Nicolas Cage and his cronies were part of the Irish mob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> watching it. So we watched it with my um uh with my partner. And uh there's a Peter Stormare comes on uh in his uh I think he meets him at uh his daughter's funeral. Yeah. And yeah. he does the whole speech of look guys let's not like there was <laughs> I think he said like there were like you know last time we went up against the Russians there was like blood in the streets kind of thing. Let's just you know shit happens kind of thing and he's talking in what can only be described as a completely indecipherable accent <laughs> i have no idea what it was supposed to be and my uh, my partner was like i think i think it's irish and i was convinced it was like no no that's like that's like ukrainian or something it's or anywhere in between but uh she, she was banging the money to be fair
1: yeah, a hundred percent My my immediate note was well right, right uh storm drain, dead girl, um funeral, Peter Stormer, accent, question mark, exclamation <laughs> mark, I was I mean, the the word indecipherable is I mean, okay, I could understand what he was saying because English, yeah. but if I hadn't have looked um uh, you know, to like just gauge the plot just quickly just to make sure I'd not missed anything after watching it you would you could have paid me a thousand any money you want and I would have never placed these as Irish mob. Um I think there were hints of a dialect in there, but it was just garbage talk. That was <laughs> awful. Um Peter Stormer, I mean I'm not angry. I'm disappointed uh in, in you hey. Peter.
2: He he does deliver some some real nuggets of uh, of wisdom during that uh, speech though. he talks about. Obviously, he's in a wheelchair and he's talking about all of the the simple pleasures that he can no longer engage in, such as and I quote, banging a young broad and kicking someone's
1: teeth in.
0: <laughs> good, good old Peter Snowball.
1: <laughs> it's it, it's the simple things, isn't it, that you miss um, once you've been in a once you've been in a gang war um that really take it away from you. But yeah, I think as as he was saying though, yeah, I think definitely a waste. I mean he's he's fine. He's he's one of those actors who, like who I think when you get a Peter Stormer on screen, I think you kind of know what you're gonna get. Not necessarily a bad thing, but he was just kind of there maybe being Irish. We don't we don't really know. Was it like East Ireland? Is that a place? I yeah. don't you know. Um somewhere that they could just make up... I mean, as we've established, this film was just set in all of America, so he might have just been from all of Ireland. Um,
0: <laughs> Probably, yeah.
1: So that's that's the only way that it sort of um, uh, makes sense for me. Um, but he's he's not in the film sort of altogether that much. He's at the funeral. Um, I think he might have had a scene in, in the middle where I think where he meets with uh, Paul Cage again, and then he's got at the end, when he's... Uh, with the Russian mob in that car car park. park. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, Although I suppose in terms of, you know, trying to pin down locales and scenery as well, I think towards the end of the film, one of my notes was, I swear 30 to 40% of this film takes place in the same derelict building. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: pretty much. Or the alley, like, he always seems to find, like, some kind of, like, alleyway somewhere. Like yeah. regardless of where he seem where he finds himself, he seems to know like all of the shortcuts and the cool things <laughs> around things.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I don't know what it is. I suppose at this point in a film when Cage would have been late forties, he wouldn't have been in his fifties, but there's something about this era of Cage, watching him run is just very uncomfortable because he's not into it. He's not a comfortable runner, is uh is our cage. Um but, I, you know, I want to say it's a stunt man, but it just definitely isn't. It's He's committed to it. Um, but actually, running down that alley, though, sort of brings me on to another point I wanted to make, because this is... Again, um, Ryan Tomatoes have given this 12% um, of, of a critical consensus. They've... Um, Their overarching quotes are depressingly dull and poorly made. Rage is the rare Nicolas Cage action thriller, lacking enough energy to reach so bad it's good territory. Um, I think right from the start, um, I mean, you get that, that very quick scene right at the start. It's kind of almost a blink and you'll miss it, with Cage's eyes watching a door and a little shotgun barrel mm. peeps through. Um, and then you've got that, you just go straight to him picking up his daughter from school, but there were just a lot of like cuts there. The editing just felt a bit like, I know. Far be it from me to say because I'm just a loser in a room um, who records the Nicholas Gage podcast. But it felt a bit amateurish. Uh, the camera felt um, all over the place.
0: The music really—it felt the music felt like it was either from like a bad Final Fantasy like cutscene, <laughs> or from kind of like a like a straight to TV like daytime movie.
1: Yes, and then yeah.
0: that combined with everything you just said. <laughs> it's just like this is, yeah.
2: It... it was also just some really weird. Like I've I've touched on like how bad some of the dialogue was, but like some of the things that, like, when he goes and hands his dead daughter's homework in, like, who decided that that was something <laughs> to include that. in this film? <laughs> like, she's got the perfect excuse for not handing it in. She's dead. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, I'll, I I I'll sort of watched that. I think on one, I think this is kind of the the cage sympathizer in me trying to sort of like rationalize it. It's like, well, it's it's something she was working really hard on. Even though this last conversation was berating her for not doing it, well, <laughs> make it make sense. Um, but he hands it in. But the the sort of twisted part of my brain was like, what if the teacher marked it and it was a fail? Like when she's <laughs> she just handed it back to him, is like, oh right, okay, that's. That's my lasting memory yeah, it's, it's, of, it's, of, my, yeah, of my daughter.
0: It's good that she's dead. Now I never have to mark something like this again.
1: <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, Mr. Maguire, I've had, I've had some stinking essays, some fucking honkers in my time. This was this was a bag of dicks. Might as well have just been drawn dicks all over this. It's just absolutely terrible. Um, your daughter's failed. It's like, oh, she's dead. Your daughter's failed, Mr. Maguire. I will not repeat myself. Um... It seemed like with it, they were trying to fit in like a you know philosophical quotes and stuff at the start of the film as well they're going to like seize the day and quote and I think it, like Julius Caesar I think was her essay that it was about so I thought yeah. they were going to shoehorn some more of that in and you know make it I don't know pretentiously artistic in some way but kind I of mean, dropped off a bit with that as well
2: He did he did stab that one guy in the back which maybe is a call out to Caesar <laughs> oh, his his
1: oh. Just, <laughs> Big brain play right there. <laughs> his, his
0: his knife work actively infuriated me in some of the fighting. I I, I don't know because there was a se- like so when they punched punched the guy through a door to gain access to this card game, which I still couldn't understand why they were there. He pulled like his knife out, but started punching people with it. <laughs> yeah. So like he wasn't really. Using that, it was like a, I compared it to you know how like in wrestling when they'll get like a sledgehammer and then they'll yeah. just poke people with the sledgehammer and it's like yeah. no 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 you um you've got a weapon that's designed for a very specific use <laughs> and, <laughs> and you are doing something weird with it.
1: <laughs> uh, it's it's obviously not like outstanding choreography or anything like that. It's very clearly old men wheezing uh, through a fight scene oh, yeah. to prove they've still they've still got it. Um, I kind of had a little, I don't even know if I can say a sincere chuckle. I think he's having that conversation with, I think it's Kane. Um, and Kane makes that I think this is maybe when they start to figure out the Russians may have had some involvement. They're talking yeah. on Porsche porch or something. Um, and then he says, I can't believe you made it this far in the mob and you have no idea what guns are what. And he's like, "Oh, I like knives for clean." Or oh. goes on to not use knife, <laughs> um, other than you know certain little parts where I thought he might have like thrown a knife or something. But he just it was that maybe it was hitting him like with the like the hilt, if you call it a hilt, I don't called call the bottom of the knife, the bottom of the handle. Just yeah. going, it's like this is just sad. And then he just with one hand threw that guy to the left. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm like fifty minutes in, whatever. Um...
0: What's weird, though, is so like, the director, so uh, Paco Cabezas, or which is a name I probably completely butchered, um, he went on to direct a load of episodes of a TV series called Into the Badlands, which is like oh, a man. post-apocalyptic kung fu thing. <laughs> so, not just a post-apocalyptic kung fu thing, but a post-apocalyptic kung fu TV series that has Nick Frost in it. <laughs> oh,
1: wow. Now yeah, there's... So,
0: so it, it's an it's an Amazon prime thing and it, it's it's great for what it is, but the fight scenes are incredible. so I don't get how the same guy can direct literally I think like a quarter of the episodes of the show and then also film Nicolas Cage wheezing in a poker room
1: <laughs> I think you have to imagine a um, stunt director stunt coordinator took <laughs> yeah. point on those I just realized
0: I'm, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I, I, I need to do better fight scenes than this.
1: <laughs> but Paco's on set, so like, we're going to have a, a stunt, there's going to be some guys around, they're going to come in sort of one by one, like classic Kung Fu way, they're kind of dancing in the background, and then you're going to hit him with a knife, <laughs> but not the point in the end. Wink. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they call that doing a Paco in the, uh, down on the allotments. Um, I, th- I, I was kind of hoping there'd be, you know, maybe one or two more fight scenes, because I think as he, as he touched on earlier, the, there's... If it's not a fight scene, then it's just there are some gun shootouts, uh, and then it's chase scenes through derelict building. Where, as we said, he's just berating a guy for that he's killing, like white in the classic "Why are you punching yourself?" fashion. Um, and that chase scene took a long time. You know, I do There was a horrible, like just shaky camera work, and I just felt ill. I don't. I don't think yeah. that sort of handheld running after you down an alleyway camera work. It's you know maybe it's. Maybe this is the inner boomer in me, you know, the the aging millennium, like, not for me. That's a young man's game, shaky camera, like, not for me anymore.
0: Yeah, it has its place, but it always, because you can't can't make out anything that's happening, which I realise makes me sound very (laughs) (laughs) old.
1: I want static camera shots in my knife play. That's all I want. Or just put a a GoPro and a knife and let me see it, just like jabbing someone. I don't know, just let me see someone get stabbed. Or maybe I'm just a villain. Maybe I'm a fucking crook and I want to see people get stabbed. Maybe that's what I've learned about myself in this film. I I want gore.
0: (laughs) That's it. This this film, if anything, is a commentary on us as people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is what I find the mid-2010s Cage films. You look beyond the meta, the narrative, and you really start to dig down. You learn a lot about yourself As a person. Um, But with some of the gunfights as well, um, there was one, and I don't know if I can really call it a smart thing, I think this was the same part where he stabbed that, you know, he Julius seized that guy in the back, like hand through knife, sort of locked him in.
0: Oh, yeah. That, to be fair, that was kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'll
0: let let Paco and Cage have that one.
1: (laughs) I mean, the one kind of like smart taken thing that Cage did, which is kind of, okay, it's kind of smart, but only because I guess the person that he shot had no spatial awareness is when he was going down that corridor and he saw the guy's shadow with the gun and then he shot him through the wall. I was like, okay, that's kind of taken-y. I mean, and yes, I am clutching at straws a bit, I'll admit here, to try and make this, <laughs> like I'm trying to sell this thing. Um But then there was the bit, this seemed to be as well where they started suddenly using slow motion in the gunfights. I don't know if you noticed that as well.
0: Yeah. It, it, so th- that was the, that was also the scene where there was a random bathtub.
1: Yes. Which yes.
0: <laughs> just randomly in a hallway, uh, but yeah, you, that, that fight scene. Have you
2: not got a have you not got a strategic bathtub in your in your new home here? I, just, just, just just in case.
0: Just in case there's a shootout. <laughs> I have random
2: bathtubs everywhere. But
0: like that that whole that entire like scene felt like it was from another film. But I don't know if that's they they filmed it first and just went. Actually, you know what? No, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it like that. We're gonna go for the slow burning gangster drama instead. But there's the there's a kind of a cool bit where he's got. Like a shotgun in one hand, a pistol in the other hand, and he's trying to time it where these two gangsters are clearly going to come through opposite doors.
1: Yeah. And
0: it, like, to be fair, it lingers on him for far too long. It's like, like, cuts to him, cuts to a door, cuts back to him, back to the door, back to him, back to the door. <laughs> <laughs> but that that whole thing, yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe it was because suddenly slow motion was involved. It just felt a bit different to everything else that was happening but yeah there were like the the major beats of the film like somewhere there is a good story in it like
1: yeah i i I,
0: I don't think it is like inherently a bad idea (laughs) and there are parts of the film where that really shows out and i think that gunfight's one of them it's like oh this is this is a decent taken ripoff this works
1: yeah, it could have been I think I really agree with that, it could have been a good take and knockoff. Like there the raw components were there, but instead of sort of whisking the eggs with the flour, he shoved an egg up his ass as Paco is what's <laughs> yeah. it's quintessentially essentially what's happened there. I, and I thought the bathtub bit was decent, yeah. um, a bit hard boiled, to go back to the egg analogy, if you like. <laughs> um, but I think it really speaks to people who don't have strategic bathtubs and clearly don't do their bathtub drills. Yeah. Um, not naming any names in this conversation. <laughs>
2: but that's that's the thing, I think, with this in general, right? There's, there's potential, but then you see the flaws. And there's, there's a really... <laughs> there's one at the end um, where he's talking to his wife on the phone. And he talks about how he um, he killed a man when he was seventeen, and that's the same age as his as his daughter. But if we go back to the beginning of the film, he is planning his daughter's sweet sixteen birthday party.
1: <laughs> you son of a bitch, Graham. you come you come here and you trash him. <laughs>
2: It's just those little kind of... There's, there's these little bits where they've just clearly not, you know, they've not paid oh. too much attention.
0: Well, like, the, the police car that randomly explodes. Like, in, I think in, the, in <laughs> yeah. the car scene, like, a police car likely hits another police car and then it just... It's like Michael Bay shit. It just <laughs> completely explodes.
1: Yeah, there was... I think there was a number of, like, you know, smaller issues that, yeah maybe it's an issue with the budget restraints of the film I think it was this was a 25 million film according to Wikipedia so take that with a pinch of salt but, but there was a few things of like continuity in the shots as well at the start as well the point where um, like Danny had a pint and his like hand was up and then the next shot his hand was down and then shot his hands up again and I think there were one or two things with passenger windows are sort of up and down as well so it's just I think it's little things that you can notice if you're looking out for any kind of there's it adds up. And,
2: yeah, there's there's a really distinct bit with a clock as well, which a clock is very obvious for <laughs> continuity errors when the time keeps changing as it cuts back and forth.
1: <laughs> I was I was just looking on um IMDB um, whilst you are bringing that up just to see what other sort of, you know, goofs, if you like. And one at the end um, was like spoilers. And it, it does preface the, the goof item below may give away important plot points. And this does kind of link into, you know, the end of the film, which we'll definitely touch into. Um, It says, An experienced criminal keeps a gun of unknown origin in his home, even though it is linked to at least one crime, and is, in fact, linked to others. He also keeps it loaded, where his teenage daughter can easily access it, not even in a basic safe. Three out of six people? Found that interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think... Something like that as well. Again, a criminal of nineteen years who just leaves a a, a loaded Tokarev. I guess you, you think about it this as well. You know, when the the film is trying to make a whole point of um, you know these, t- even though we know factually in the real world that's not the case. In the realm of this film, in the realm of Rage, they're trying to make out like. The Tokarev is this rare weapon. It's like a hit weapon. It's used for special occasions. There's only three gun uh, crimes we can link it to so far. And um, I suppose they try to explain it by saying Cage doesn't know what guns are, but you just happen to have that same gun in your house that whole time. Really, you know, if it was a knife, like a tocker knife or something, and then you're like, oh, it's in my shelf. Um it's just, just little things, and then his daughter's shot in the face because of it, um, which I suppose brings us into, you know, I guess the, the ending of the film, which I suppose is the crux of why this is all happening, which is, debatably, uh, you know, and I'll open the floor on this, a hilarious misunderstanding. <laughs> um, but... That's,
0: that sums it up very well. <laughs> it's like, oh, you pesky kids.
1: <laughs> Would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky Russians and your damn Tokarevs all over the shop. Um, but I suppose without going into, you know, I guess Cage's flashback parts, which kind of link into a lot of the rest of the film as well, uh, what what were your sort of thoughts when we get the big reveal that it was those pesky kids behind this the whole time?
2: I mean, it, it felt like it was coming from the beginning. Um, I wasn't massively surprised the thing that really got me was the whole so like, you've got him weirdly transfixed looking off into the distance with this gun um, and the the daughter comes up behind taps him on the shoulder and his first instinct is to just shoot her in the face like, it, it's not like it was, you know, he was Graham,
0: the gun was so cool <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you can understand, right, I don't know, like he's pissing about with, like, target practice and accidentally shoots her in the face or something, but the minute, if someone taps you on the shoulder, is your first instinct to shoot them in the face? And uh, maybe don't answer that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking speaking of uh, rhetorical questions, we probably shouldn't answer. It's, like, if you had killed someone with a gun, and you still had that gun in your house, you'd probably remember... Like, if they said she was shot with a Tokarev, your first thought is gonna be I bet it's the Russian mob. It could just be, you know what? I keep one of those loaded upstairs in a box.
1: <laughs> I wonder
0: if it's I wonder if it's my murder gun. <laughs>
1: did they did they say with the flashback that he he took it as a trophy or something? And there's there's my I, cat getting involved. <laughs> I, so I, two I,
0: I think the idea was they took they like stole money off this was it the it was the like the the Russian gangster's brother, who was uh, to be fair, we didn't really talk yes. about. It, but the Russian gangster was like surprisingly badass for a guy who also looked like a substitute teacher.
1: <laughs> Anyone who's got the fucking Kremlin tattooed on their back, <laughs> yeah. um, it's like they're saying, like, how can we make this guy not just Russian but mob boss Russian, distinctively yeah. Russian. Uh, tattoo the Kremlin on yep. his actual body.
0: Shall we go Stalin Tattoo? No, no, that's too much. We'll go Kremlin. <laughs> but, but his whole like Soviet uh, I could have been a contender speech was uh, kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so they, they robbed his brother and then I think to stop it being traced back to them, they kind of took all the evidence and just kept it in Nicolas Cage's cupboard. So I think they were just, yeah. It was to stop tying it back to them, because then this huge, like, mob war broke out between the uh, the Russians and who we later find on through Wikipedia were the
2: Irish. I'm <laughs> I'm wondering if um I'm wondering if the Rus- like the Kremlin tattoo was as a result of like these really nondescript accents. So we just knew that he was Russian, and maybe we needed to get like some some leprechauns and um. And four-leaf uh, shamrocks tattooed onto uh, to Francis as well, so we knew he was actually an Irish mobster. Ah, uh, fun fact: uh, four-leaf clothing tattoos in
0: the American prison system are not the Irish mob; they're the Aryan Brotherhood.
1: <laughs> well, now um, I don't know what to believe yeah. anymore. <laughs> uh, I
0: I have a uh, I have a lot of Celtic tattoos. And I had to do research. and some and
2: some Nazi ones. Uh, I, had to, I had I had I had to do
0: some research into it before, like just in case. So I ended up falling down like a massive rabbit hole of prison tattoos. So just random random information comes back to me from that. But the Kremlin might be tied to it because I know a lot of Russians um, uh, from your prison days, obviously. Yeah, from my from my prison days. Um, <laughs> used to have like tattoos of like stalin and stuff because the idea was you wouldn't shoot a picture of stalin so they would have it like on their like on their chest over their heart or like the back of the head because it's like yeah no you can't aim at it now i'm slightly safer because of my tattoos
1: is that the russian way of like the same defense in primary school like Oh i wear glasses you can't hit me because i'm wearing glasses It's yeah. the the Stalin defence.
0: Yeah, well, maybe that's the uh, that that's the next big tattoo craze. It's just going to be tattooing glasses onto you. <laughs> Is that, can't, can't hit me now, guys. I'm safe.
1: It's like, oh, I want the the creme de la Kremlin of tattoos on my flesh, <laughs> and you can't hit me. Um, maybe it's in the same with like O from Jackass has got his own face tattooed on his back. That's his defence that he can't be hit anywhere. Maybe yeah. he was maybe he was light years ahead of us in terms of defence. And we're we'll just clocking on now with our smooth brains. Although, um,
2: to be well, fair, I've, I've, I've seen Jackass. It doesn't work. <laughs> 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 but um, to, to bring it back
0: onto the Russian gangster guy, like I have a theory with this film that Nicolas Cage would have been better as any other role in it. So, like, Nicolas Cage yeah. as the Peter Stormore gangster would have been really cool. Or him putting on a Russian accent, playing... And, former like soviet olympic boxer turned mob boss or even (laughs) as like the the kind of like the cronies he has that he uh you know the the vin diesel style family members who are um trying to help him find his daughter like i I think all of those got more kind of like cagey moments than Nicolas cage did
1: yeah i mean they they are you know In a very fast and furious way, they're all about family. Um, love mentioning family in this. That I think he tries to pay him, he's like, I've got the police tailing me, I can't do it myself. Um, so they just to be fair, this film is about maybe rounding up here an hour of them chasing dead leads and then (laughs) and and nothing coming of it until suddenly it's like, oh yeah, it's actually the big Russian mob boss who it isn't. Who we find out it isn't. He's just like
0: That's a really good point. It's an entire film of them chasing dead leads until Nicolas Cage remembers he owns a gun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's like when you can when you condense it down to its finest points, it is that it is literally at least an hour and twenty of Nicolas Cage not remembering a crucial plot point. Um and then suddenly picking it back up. Um even with, like, them, I think the flashback as well, I think I didn't even realise that it was Cage and Co until much later in the film because I think he's in a closet and he puts his leather jacket on and then it cuts to the shot of them breaking into that car and, like, hijacking it. And it's, you know, no context to say that it's a flashback or it's at a different time. I kind of thought, oh, they're saying that they're not going to pursue the film uh, while going after these gangsters now, but it was kind of some stylistic cut to show yeah. that they're doing it now. But then it just disappears and then it turns out it's a flashback. Um and it also apparently as well that the young um the young pool was played by Weston Cage as well, Nicholas Cage's son. Yeah. So continuity for looks there at least, if nothing else in this film. Um good, just good confusing placement. <laughs> good old reliable Weston. Um but just confusing Choices made just to throw a flashback in, not explain it, and then address it later on. And then, like, oh, okay, the, the leather jacket triggered a flashback because it has got PTSD. I don't fucking know. We anymore. we
2: we needed Danny Glover in the flashback just to explain to us what was going on. <laughs> this, this,
0: this flashback is longer than my dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not even a young Danny Glover; just the same age, omnipotent. Um, just comparing. You know what, if this was 90 minutes of Danny Glover comparing things to the length of his dick, um, that would have been the perfect explanation for me. <laughs> just, just with Nicolas
0: Cage running around in the background. <laughs> just like, are, are, are the killers here? No? Are the killers
1: here? Nicolas Cage running through a derelict building, like in scooby Doo*, where they're running through like the same doors, like left and right, left and right. He's running away in the background, Chasing the to go with a bullet hole, and uh, we take an interval with Danny Glover telling us a list of things that are that his dick is longer than well, it, um
2: it works with the Scooby Doo motif as well because it was those pesky kids it
1: literally <laughs> was those pesky kids but i think going back to what we were saying though you know i think when cuz at the start they asked the kid i think he's called mike and i think it's important to note that mike's dialogue he's got uh, cage clocks that he's got a crush on his daughter and he's like Uh, What are you doing? Working at a Denny's? Want to come swing a hammer for me? (laughs) Um, It's like, there's good money swinging hammer. So, uh, my note was like, hammer work, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar (laughs) sign. Um, So, if you can get in the pocket of big ham, big hammer, apparently, you're all right. Um, But Most of his dialogue is just like, (laughs) Like, I didn't do it. Um... But then he's like, oh, your guns were so cool, and I was in the rain, and I didn't hear her come behind me. But I was kind of thinking with that, we obviously have things in this film that don't make sense. It was like, you know for a fact that you were one of three people. You know there was no one else around. And then with a completely straight stiff arm, you pivot 180, do a shocked face, and blast the crush of your dreams in the face. And then dump her in a fucking storm drain, um, and I think I will say, you know, when we get that explanation at the end, um, I think Cage was quite lenient. I th- I thought he was going to kill the boy. I don't know if you thought he was going to take a different uh, a different route on that one.
0: I thought there was at least going to be some like light maiming. Like, yeah, I I didn't think he would just walk away. But but again, like in if the- if it was. <laughs> Him not doing that would have been a very good beat in a better story. <laughs> but, yes. But at no point did it ever look like he was, you know, like if maybe it, it ever looked like he was going to properly, like John Wick style, slide back into the criminal life kind of thing. But at no point did Nicholas Cage ever look like he was going to. He just always looked, you know, like, no, nah, guys, I'm not, I'm not interested in this gangster shit. Just want to find out who killed my daughter. It's.
1: Yeah. Very lenient considering everything, you know. Cause we said he, he could he could he have gone into those rage moments, as the film name implies he might. Um he gets it obviously when he's bashing the guy's head in on the roof in the puddle, and when he uh it's Danny, his 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 friend that he confronts, um, which kind of comes out of nowhere as well. They sort of say, um, uh, oh, someone's got to know, someone's got to know, someone's got to know. And then he suddenly find out that Danny's working for O'Connell again because reasons. And then Danny keeps alluding to needing to party, needing to drink to blow off steam. So it was like, well, you must have blabbed. You must have blabbed. Stab. Um, and then he just, so- like, yeah, just keeps shouting rat at him. <laughs> Danny's like saying, "Like, look, you, you know, this is a really heavy job." He's saying, and "He said, like, you know, how at the start, how deep do you need me and Kane to go?" And it's like, "How deep as hell!" <laughs> um, so you know, they're in it. You know, they nearly killed that sort of junkie's partner. Like, they took her head off with a cinder block and a rope through the window. Oh yeah, and good then- point.
0: That was fucked. <laughs> like, sorry, that was like given that these are the guys we were supposed to be cheering on, like to set that out really early in the film. It was just like, oh,
2: okay, cool. Well, I don't care what happens to any of these people now.
0: <laughs> They're all clearly
2: terrible people. Are are Cinder blocks like? Is a single Cinder block heavy enough to do that? Like I'm, it, I'm, I'm, it doesn't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not googling that. That's going to put. something. On... <laughs> <laughs> it, it just doesn't. I mean, I like breeze blocks is my only comparison. Breeze blocks aren't that heavy, and I don't think you could necessarily lift a woman's like. Hang a woman from a window with a breeze block, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Can I can I kill a junkie with a breeze block? <laughs> Question mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I suppose because they tried to get information out of his informant. He was like, no, don't kill. I don't know anything. I love her. And then almost. I mean, that's going to be throat damage or like a nearly a snapped neck. And then they just have a little laugh about it on the way out of the building, like, oh, what do we like, last 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 lads. lads, lads, lads? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like...
0: yeah, they did. it was a proper, he said something like, um... oh, I didn't even know it was going to go like that. Yeah, he
2: wasn't convinced he was going to be able to hit the rope with the gun, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, see, you know, sometimes it just comes together on the record, it just comes together on the day. <laughs> <laughs> um if he'd just have, can't get the spot right.
2: If he'd have had the knife, though, like Nicolas Cage, you know, guaranteed to cut the rope.
0: True. Or yeah. maybe we missed, like, the three or four junkies he interrogated before. And he missed the rope. Maybe he was just trying to get his eye in on this one.
2: <laughs> well, that's a very good point, though, because they, they do that whole scene and then it got, cuts back to them with Nicolas Cage and they're like, yeah, we, we've shaken everyone down and uh, we haven't got any information. And it's like, we only saw you see one, one dude and his junkie wife and that was it. Yeah, what dude. And
0: the information you got from him was he was very much in love.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> How do you plead, Your Honour? Love. Love. Um, th- the ultimate the ultimate win. Um but obviously we missed out the five practice junkies from very similar derelict buildings on the way there. Um no, I think it's good though that in preparation they're practice junkies, they had like practice tubs to dive into and around as well. So, you know, they're maybe in the late forties, but they've still got it. Um I was trying to like, you know, obviously Danny was I don't even think Danny was corrupt. I think Cage just got mad at him. Um and he was trying to explain himself to us like to party and Cage was going oh, 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 oh. um like an Elvis impersonator um full circle. Um uh, there was the gunfight that Kane had in that sort of you know I thought it was just like some old place we get like new tires fitted but it was just like some run down bar and he had his shotgun loaded. Um, and then they're shooting just like straight down where the opening is to the back of the bar and they just decide to like swap cover through all the bullets and I was like that's not a smart thing to do um,
0: Neither is neither's like killing a load of Russian mobsters and then just going to your place of work <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Just you, going back to one of the, the bullet point places they will check for yeah, you.
0: it's like hide <laughs> Just go somewhere different
1: it was you know just too deep, just too deep into hell. Or I think I did enjoy from that though when he just had that because you just have to have a fist fight with like the biggest, baddest Russian, um, and this the Russian just in very um, Ivan Drago fashion, just taking shots, laughing, just taking more shots, and Kane's like Whoa, just getting absolutely smashed before um, uh, Chernov has a good go him as well. And obviously it gives him the uh, I could have been contender speech, um, which is, you know, and I thought actually, Chernov, sure uh, played by, him, hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, Pashady uh, Lichnikov, I thought he was actually quite good. I thought there was something like a bit of a sinister charm to him. And um, it kind of, it's just a shame that really between Peter Stormare and, and Pashady and that basically an hour and 20 of this film is complete nonsense. That means nothing. Until um, the very, very end, when Cage is just blasted because Chernov is like, "Oh, you started this, you shitbag! You killed my brother." Well, well, we're here now, so you know, I guess, kind of got to kill you. You know, it's just.
0: I'd love to wrap it. things up. I'd love if it ended just on so that the shotgun comes through the bedroom door, and then you just hear Nicholas Cage go, "Guys, so it's a funny story." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Record scratch. So that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got into this mess. <laughs> it starts 19 years ago. Um, you know, if they just made this a fucking dark comedy instead or something, um, maybe there would have been something there. Although I will say, you know, when it when it, you know, this is this is like the very end of the film here, and obviously he's called his wife to apologise, and he said that he's killed the man, and you know things could have been different when it's like and I thought it was kind of a nice shot when you kind of see like the flashes of the gun in like his pupil I was like oh that's that's kind of nice that's kind of nice you don't really see that all that too often but you think you've got the credits and then it just goes a slow-mo to see like Danny Glover at the bottom of the stairs trying to tell someone about his dick again (laughs) And then the, hey guys see how big goes, this cadaver is <laughs> <laughs> my dick's bigger than this body bag anyone, anyone I'm so close to retirement um, and then the camera just goes outside and his wife completely unconsoled he's just sobbing outside in the film ends and I was like this is disappointing <laughs> just on all all counts um, did, did did you think the credits, the slow-mo credits offered anything, or would you've just had it end on like sort of the flash in the eyes of the gunshots?
0: It literally brought nothing to the story.
2: <laughs> it, it it took away from like like you say, that actually that was quite a cool shot. And then yeah. we got a really boring, like mid credits slow mo thing, and it kind of took away from the cool finishing shot of the film. Um so yeah, no, we 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 definitely didn't need them. I think they're still going now. Actually,
1: <laughs> still <laughs> clocking his body down the stairs, <laughs> even now, just pushing it out. Um, yeah, I think I think that you know, as as we sort of look to, um, I guess, wrap up on rage slash Tokarev, whatever side of the pond that you're on. Um, I guess it's you know, as as we've been saying, um, it's a film that had potential just to just be a straight take and knock off and it could have been all right but the script didn't serve it a lot of actors were just wasted there were just some silly lines things that didn't make make sense and then you feel a bit cheated by the time you get to the end of the film and realize it was just because of the tittle tattle of a lad um that we got into this ruddy mess. In the first place, like the film, just tried to be too many things. It tried to be taken. It tried to be hard boiled. It tried to be Scooby Doo. Um, it tried to be gone in sixty seconds in its car chases, and it was none of those things. Um, but for yourselves, you know what? What would be your your final takeaways and sort of final thoughts um, on Rage Slash Tokarev?
2: I, I, I just missed it. For me, it was the like we had the glimpses of what I wanted were like nicholas cage on the roof smashing people's heads into puddles and shooting them whilst asking them not to die um that is what we needed throughout and the whole kind of understatedness of him through the beginning and um and the muddled I, i i think i could forgive the muddled plot points the terrible dialogue if we had manic cage for 90 minutes um but we it didn't hit enough of it to make it enjoyable. Um so it was a little bit of a slog, I think.
0: Yeah, it, it hmm. definitely
2: feels like
0: it's one for the cage completionists, doesn't it? Like I I there there were some very good bits in it, or at least that hinted towards something better. Um I they either yeah, they either needed to lean in more into the the caginess of it, or maybe go deeper into the actual gangster side of stuff, but instead they kind of just walked in the middle and you didn't get the best of anything. Um, I don't regret watching it, but I probably wouldn't watch it again.
1: Yeah, I can. I agree with all points. I'm just happy that it's uh, free to stream on Amazon Prime right <laughs> now. Oh, uh, yeah. Not, Not an ad. Not an ad um but thankfully the king of the knife fight uh, Paco Cabezas if I'm trying to think correctly now has a healthy career in tv directing knife fights <laughs> um so so someone came out of this absolutely clean um but as we you know look to wrap up the episode uh, on this film today uh, for the listeners uh where can we seek you out on the socials as well uh, so
0: we have uh Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. Um but I mean all of our social media handles and everything is just on the podcast for dot co dot uk and we're obviously available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Wonderful stuff and all the links uh, to all the effort mentioned will be in the description down below. But that leaves me to say uh Ian Harrys, Graham Jones thank you again so much for joining me this has been a tremendous amount of fun uh, and thank you for listening if you have been we will see you in the next one but until then keep on keep on cajun it's all you have to do thank you take care and goodbye